Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Excuse My Reach. I'm your host, Emma Isaac. Today, our guests are Natalie Pashai and Chloe Farhadi, co-founders of May, a gallery in Los Angeles focused on presenting work by a diverse group of rising contemporary artists. Powered by the idea that contemporary art is a communal endeavor, Natalie and Chloe set out to bring those passionate about art into a space where they feel empowered to engage earnestly with work being made by rising artists today. So without further ado, Natalie, Chloe, welcome to Excuse My Reach. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you for having us on. It's so exciting to be here. We were talking a little bit before we started recording, but I am so excited to have both of you on specifically because I've never had gallery owners on before, female founded gallery owners that have a really cool mission behind it. So I'm excited to talk to you guys and hear all about May, obviously get into the nitty gritty of it. But before we even do that, I would love to hear about your guys' relationship, how you guys met each other, how you know each other, why you wanted to go into business together. Tell me about you guys. Great questions all around. Go ahead. Yeah? Yeah. So Chloe and I grew up in the same area. We kind of were circling around each other's orbits. We had a lot of mutual friends, but we never knew each other very well. Um, And I was working at this auction house in New York. Chloe was working for the same auction house at the gallery in Los Angeles. Um, And one day when I moved back to LA from New York, I kind of wandered into the gallery that she was working at and asked her about her experience, um, what she's up to, And we immediately hit it off. We realized that we kind of had the same goals and the same interests. And she mentioned that she wanted to put together this exhibition and it sounded incredible to me. And I said, okay, any way that I can help, I'd love to work with you on this. And that kind of started May, you know, that first exhibition became this gallery. Yeah. It was um, supposed to be like a nice little, you know, experiment, like pop up. Let's see how it goes. Let's see how how much traction we get, how well we expose our artists. And it ended up being extremely successful. And we ended up getting along super, super well. And like our skills really complement each other. So we were like, okay, we can do this. And then second show was born and here we are. <laughs> I kind of love how organic that just seemed like you guys didn't even set out to be partners, but it just worked out that way. You talk about some of those skills that really complemented each other. What were some of those that you guys automatically saw like she can do that really well and I don't necessarily have that trait? Actually, it's so funny. I was literally telling someone this this morning. Um, Natalie is an incredibly gifted writer and curator. Um, she she's rolling her eyes right now you guys but it's like I I cannot write at all like (laughs) I can barely speak English properly um I'm like a I'm like a logistics person and organization person so like I can bring the show together physically but Nat like writes it and like sews it together with our words um so yeah no Chloe is um kind of a wizard with all things logistics and making the shows actually happen. Um, She's really great at communicating with artists and clients and she was more front facing um, at her last position. And I was more of like the researcher. So I think our skills really do complement each other. We got very lucky in that sense. That's really cool. Have you guys faced any challenges working together that you're like, oh, gosh, I have to stay away from her when she does this or I just need to let her fly in this moment? Biggest challenges. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the biggest thing was just disagreeing about pieces to put in the show sometimes. Oh, yeah. But not because (laughs) we really disagree on how worthy a piece is of being in a show. It's more logistics. It's like, okay, will this piece be here in time? (laughs) Chloe's more of a risk taker. I will fight her for a work. Yeah, (laughs) usually always right. So (laughs) I'm glad that you do. Yeah, I fought her for a work in our last show and it got here the day before. No, 
day of day of it was nerve-wracking oh my my gosh so horrible and then we had to stretch it like literally the day of (laughs) um but it's sold so like there we go (laughs) yeah I think we're very lucky because we're kind of coming from the same level of experience more or less so we're in this as equals and that's really beneficial there's no like boss weird like power dynamic which I think allows us to work well together there's no like weird tension it's just very organic we're friends um so even if there are hiccups we work through it together because we're both learning as we go I also think that the way we structure our days also conducive to that so like basically we come in we do work and then we have um the uh, bitching and moaning section of our day, which really gets <laughs> us, you know, flowing. And then we go back to work. Yeah. So, so you get to vent and work all together. Yeah. Do you feel like your friendship has become a lot stronger? Like I know, Natalie, you kind of said in this, the beginning that you guys weren't even really that close. Like you kind of just knew of each other more. Do you feel like you're like best friends now? No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we've literally said this this morning we're like merging into a singular person (laughs) oh my gosh i've adopted some of her like hand gestures and it's it's really funny but i'm very grateful because out of this business i also gained a really close friend which i feel like is rare yeah especially in the art world (laughs) especially in the art world really what do you guys feel like is normal in the art world do you feel like it's a lot of competition and like cattiness or what have you guys experienced I think it's a lot of surface level relationships sometimes, especially at the beginning, because you just want to meet the most people ever and you want to like grow your network. So the depth of your, I don't know. Connection. Yeah. Is not that deep at the beginning. And it really takes a lot for someone to like genuinely connect with you because they think, oh, it's just like a business connection. It's just like a, I know this person, I'm set kind of connection. That's actually really, really interesting. Like thinking about the dynamics of the art world, the community aspect of it, like do you feel like you're able to get close to people when you continue to go to their shows or go to their gallery events or anything like that? Or do you feel like what you're saying is mostly when you're doing that, it does just feel so business centric and it's like you're kind of just trying to make a connection, but it's not a real human connection. There are definitely both sides. I think that, you know, we have people that come to our shows pretty consistently and it's clearly to show their support of what we're doing. Um, But there is also people that, you know, their main priority is networking, which is Mm -hmm. completely fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference, but it's also ironic, right? Because art is all about this connection that you have, this expression of your interiority and making it physical. And it's such an intimate experience just viewing art, but then the art world can be so sterile and harsh and fake. So in starting May, we kind of wanted to push back against the stereotype of the gallery, like this harsh white walled box where, you know, you should feel intimidated to come in and everything is unavailable. And if it's, if it is available, it's too expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, we want art to become a little bit more approachable. Um, so yeah, that's what we're all about. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that mindset. And you talk about this white wall box. Do you feel like you experienced that in your guys's kind of past experiences in the art world? And I'd love to hear kind of your experience too. You said that you worked at the same company, right? But in different places, mm-hmm. New York and LA, So can you guys just kind of talk about that experience, if you felt some of those negatives, but then also some of those positives? Um, Well, personally, the gallery I worked at, it was, it really showed incredible work, incredible work, things that I honestly never thought I'd see in my lifetime in person. But another dimension to that was that people didn't know if they were allowed to come in because it looked so daunting from the outside. And people didn't think that they could speak loudly in the gallery or like talk above a hushed tone. And to me, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, you're not in a library. You can ask questions. Like, 
this is a learning place. This is a place where like you want to engage with the curators, the directors, the, the gallery assistants, whoever's there. And it's not like, um, I don't know. It is a, I get, it's not like a sacred place, I would say, but it is a place of like engagement where you can connect on that, like holy love, not holy level, but spiritual level. (laughs) I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So the gallery I worked at was a little bit more intimidating. So from what I gained, I brought it here and I was like, okay, we're going to make this a very comfortable place. We're going to make this a place where people can scream in here. People can play loud music in here. People can have breakfast burritos on the floor in here. (laughs) Um, Can people actually do that? Yeah, we've done it. It has been done. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that so much. (laughs) Little picnic in your gallery. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really big thing for the first show. It was like (laughs) burritos all day, every day. In the setup of May. Yeah. I think my kind of dislike of the sterile art environment comes more from being an art observer rather than somebody who has worked in the art industry. I think just going to galleries on my own time and not being met with the most enthusiasm from gallery assistants, which I get it. I've been a gallery assistant. It can be exhausting. And, you know, you have to maintain your professionalism, of course, but just kind of the cold nature of a lot of gallery assistants. And sometimes you ask questions and they don't even know much about the work and the story behind it. I think it goes against the entire point of going to galleries. So we want to inform the people that come in. We want them to feel like they can learn about the art and ask questions and engage with it, even if they're not going to you know, buy something. I think that's really amazing. And I think it's interesting to hear that so much of your guys' interest stems from kind of wanting to do things differently than what you've already seen out there. When you first entered into the art world, even if you were just an observer, like from a young, young age, what was something that for both of you was kind of like, okay, I know I want to be within this world in some way, shape or form? That's such a good Mm. question. My goodness. I think what brought me into this world was I... I love history and I love the fact that art paints it in a very, very like refreshing way. Um, I learned a lot about the world through all the art that I saw throughout my life. And it's slightly romanticized and I fell for it, (laughs) but um, I wanted to be a part of that story. Like I would read all these books, things about different gallerists who promoted like Robert Rauschenberg and Jasper Johns. And I was like, wow, they lived in like the golden age of this art. And I was like, damn, I would just want to do that too. And honestly, like one of the, one of the like museums that I went to, two museums that really influenced me in my life were one of them was uh, the Whitney in New York that has an incredible or had an incredible exhibition. Like I want to say like five years ago with all these incredible American artists from like the sixties. Um, and they told that story of that era um, of like the new school of New York and all that. And then um, I've told Natalie this a hundred times, but the <laughs> Tyson museum in Madrid has one of the craziest permanent exhibitions I've ever seen in my life. And they organize it in um, by year and like show the progression of time. And it is so cool to see the transformation of styles and like areas, like different places like Paris took off at one point, Spain took off at another point, like Madrid and Barcelona and like Berlin and a different point in time. And like you see the progression of time through their permanent exhibition. This happens at a lot of museums and places like that but these two really like caught my attention sorry that was a little tangent no that's awesome natalie what about you um hmm, it's a very good question i think like chloe pointed out definitely throughout my life a few exhibitions have really stood out to me and made me realize how how art can capture history and give you a more comprehensive 
idea of different times and places and experiences. Um, but my mom studied interior design. So she had this huge book. It's called the art book. And it was like worn. I think it was printed in like the eighties. It's very vintage. And as a little kid, I would climb up the bookshelf and get this heavy book off the top shelf. And I would just flip through it for hours. And without knowing what I was doing was studying it, you know, front to back completely, like memorize the whole thing. And looking back, what it did was not only teach me about aesthetics, but it also taught me about um, history, about philosophy, about um, emotion. It taught me about so many different things. And I think as you get older and you develop more experiences, you can find yourself in a piece and that can be really cathartic. Um, but beyond that, even if you can't relate to a piece at all, it challenges you to step into a new mind frame, you know, and try to understand a work that comes from a completely different place that you wouldn't know. So in that way, it also encourages connection. Um, so yeah, I think it's so cheesy, but it art is this connection with the universe and the name may, which Chloe came up with is kind of, this genius metaphor for it all. So do you want to explain it? So May in Farsi, it actually doesn't exist anymore, not in modern Farsi. It's like an old Farsi word. Um, it was predominantly used in um, Rumi poems. And it, the word is actually not even May. May means like it's a part of a word. So the whole word is May Furushan, which just means wine cellar. And you don't really see May on its own. You see, like, well, I guess you do and kind of. Um, but the poem that I heard so many times in, like, my childhood from my dad was about these wine sellers who would sell wine. And Rumi is saying, like, what is better than wine? What are they selling? Like, what can you buy that's better than wine from the money that you get? Because at the time, like like there was nothing better but then my parents they like went to these like roomy poetry like lectures and lessons and my dad had heard this poem years and years ago and only like maybe a few years ago he, he went to this class and they were like oh it doesn't mean wine it means joy like this word is it's it has double meaning like may could mean joy so what he's saying is what are these joy sellers going to buy with the money that they sell the joy with? Like what can, what's better than that? There's nothing better than that. So we brought that same concept to the gallery and we were like, okay, this is a joyous place. This is a place where you can like really light your flame, drink wine, enjoy life, you know, make it like a wholesome place again, make the gallery like, not this sterile kind of rare environment, but like make it a happy place, make it a colorful place. You're quite literally selling joy. Yes. That's really awesome. It's a really <laughs> cool name and it's a really cool story behind the name. I'm a sucker for names and I feel like there's so much always tied to it more than meets the eye. So I'm so glad that you explained that in detail because automatically I know that if somebody were to walk into your gallery and know the meaning behind that, they'll want to participate in it because of knowing the story behind it. And it's like you're bringing that piece of history now into your guys' own gallery, which is really amazing. You guys touched on a little bit being gallery assistants. Was that your primary job prior to starting May, assistants, interns? Can you tell us a little bit about that initial experience in the world? And then also how you got those opportunities. Was it networking? Was it, you know, reaching out to people, cold calling? Was it through your schools? Tell us about that. I start, started out um, actually working, interning, and then working for an art advisor who I met through my parents, um, a really fantastic contemporary art advisor, Sash Dealer. Um, and I 
worked under her for a while. And then I mainly was writing um, for this digital art publication, writing reviews of shows around LA um, and writing for uh, the USC newspaper as well. And after that, what was the next thing I did? I did while I was in college, um, a summer academy at LACMA, the Mellon Summer Academy. And that was a really great thing. If anyone listening is interested in uh, becoming a curator, it's a really wonderful program that aims to promote diversity in the artistic institutions around LA and beyond. Um, So that was kind of a curatorial experience. When I was abroad in Florence, I worked directly under a curator in Fiesole, um, assisting him with an exhibition, an archaeological exhibition. I also did an archaeology program over a summer in Rome. Um, And then peak pandemic, I want to say, when I started graduate school, I was still in LA doing my classes remotely and I was working for a new gallery in Los Angeles. Um, And that was a really great experience. Uh, I don't know exactly how I got that. Oh, um, someone who used to work with the advisor that I worked for, her friend was opening this gallery and she reached out to me. And then after that is when I went to New York and I was working as a cataloger slash slash researcher at the auction house um, for a temporary amount of time. And so, yeah, my experience has been kind of all over the place. Um, But a lot of the opportunities came from don't be afraid to ask people, you know, who they know and get connected with people. I think I was always very timid about like using connections, but, you know, don't be afraid to talk to your friends, ask them if they know anyone in the art world. Um, also school, I'm lucky USC had a lot of, they're not known for their art history program, but they had some great programs that um, I did. Yeah. Um, mine was a little different. I didn't actually know I wanted to go into the art world until after I came back from, oh, wow. Yeah, until after I came back from Spain. And then it was COVID, so I uh, started working remotely for this dealer in San Francisco, and he had a kind of an art blog, I would say, or an art website. I'm not even sure exactly what it was. He would have me edit um, the foreign writers' blogs. So that's what I did for a while, um, and then I'd write some myself on like different like online exhibitions. That- that's all that there was at the time. Uh, then I started working as an intern for a gallery in New York, and I was doing uh, geographic marketing or geographic market research. That's what I was doing. Um, and I learned a lot about museum exhibitions during that time. Uh, then I, what did I do? I came back to LA. Um, from Michigan, and I started working for this gallery in downtown LA slash gallery uh, slash dealer. Um, worked more as a dealer. I became like his right hand man, kind of. And um, eventually, his gallery manager left, and I became his pseudo gallery manager. Um, and that was probably where I learned the most about just how to put together like basic paperwork and stuff like that. Um, Right after that, I went to the auction house and I was an administrator, um, a gallery like representative. Um, I did front of housework. I did inventory. I did cataloging. I did everything you could possibly imagine because we were, um, Headquarters was in New York. We were LA-based, and we just had a massive market here, but a very small regional office. And that is probably where I learned the most about how to manage a gallery. Um, I was there for about a year and a half, and then I realized, like, this is a beautiful learning experience, but this is not what I want to do. And if I stay here, like, this is probably what I'll end up doing. Um, And that's when I met Natalie. (laughs) <laughs> that's when our journey began. 
<laughs> That's awesome. What do you guys feel like is the biggest skill set you took away from? I mean, you've had a plethora of experiences, both of you. But what do you feel like is the biggest skill set that you took away from any of those past jobs that you now use really heavily in May? So when I was working at the auction house, I think being, okay, I think three things. One, extraordinarily organized in like how you, like leading up to an event or leading up to an opening, you have to know exactly what you need. Um, Two, I would say knowing people's names and remembering their names when you meet them and using them in conversation really engages people. And like, it makes them feel like this isn't just a stranger that you just met. This is actually someone who gives a shit about your name. And then I think the third, it probably just like ties into that, but being an open, like friendly person in the art world is kind of strangely rare so when you are you are a lot more inviting and people are a lot more like willing to talk to you and excited to talk to you um and by nature people are slightly insecure so like the slightest hint that you are a friendly person makes them feel like slightly more comfortable and you just kind of start off on a better foot Yeah, I think that's all very good points. Um, Mine is a little bit more conceptual. I think my dad always says, begin, the rest is easy. And it's so true. And I think what all these experiences have taught me is even if you don't know how to do something, one, ask questions. Don't be embarrassed or afraid to ask questions if you're confused. Two, even if you don't entirely know how to do something, just jump. There's a phrase. It's like, jump and like it'll follow you know you'll you learn by doing um yeah no one is ever i think entirely prepared for any role that they're going to take in life whether it's personal or professional so don't be afraid to go for it and <laughs> you'll learn it's vague but it's like no, happened to us yeah exactly. i was gonna say i love that mentality because it seems like that's exactly how your guys's story kind of started from the beginning I want to know what was your thought process? I want to get in more into May now. Your thought process of, okay, you started this exhibition. It kind of just kept going on and on. You did another one and another one. You guys saw a lot of success. What was it in your mind that you were like, okay, obviously we have something special because people keep coming back like every single time we're doing this. But what made it kind of flip in your mind that this needs to be like a real thing, a business, a gallery, a partnership? Honestly, this is a little bit of a challenging question because to me, I feel like it was just like the natural progression. Like it just, it was like, yes, we did it. If we did this one, we can do another one. I don't know, Nad. So I think, yes, it was very natural progression, but also I met Chloe at a very opportune time when I felt very confused. I was applying for a lot of positions that I didn't even know if I wanted that I wasn't hearing back about. And I was thinking to myself, I'm beyond qualified for so many of these. Why is it not working out? And I'm a strong believer in whatever's meant to be will happen. So I was like, there's a reason these aren't panning out. You know, it wasn't like I was even going to be fully fulfilled by the things that I was applying for. So when we held the first exhibition, and we saw all of our ideas become concrete and, and physical, It we learned like, oh, this is something that we can do. And for me, it was kind of like, I need a job right now. So might as well make this the full-time job because we really do love it. And we're clearly capable of doing it. Obviously in the beginning, things are hard, but again, you just learn as you go. Um, So on one hand, necessity, but also number two, it was kind of this lack in the market that we observed. There are a lot of really incredible blue chip galleries in Los Angeles. A lot are coming from New York to LA and establishing themselves here as well. A lot of what people would call like mid-tier galleries. And now a lot of younger galleries like May are popping up. But when we first started talking about it, 
we didn't really know many other young gallerists that wanted to promote work by emerging artists. A lot of our friends were, you know, getting married, buying homes, moving into places of their own for the first time. And they would go to like, I don't know, Z Gallery for their art or like Amazon. But we wanted to help them out and show people like, hey, there's really incredible artwork being made by artists today that is actually, you know, really finely done, really special and something that you can invest in and live with forever. And that's what we wanted. We wanted to like fill this gap in the market as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think when we began also, yes, it was a pop-up and it was only supposed to be like a, I don't know, a tester. But I think we did start with the intention of like, okay, we're starting this. This is the beginning of a long journey. As soon as we had to come up with a name. Yeah, we, we were like, here we go. After the name is born, you're like, we have to go full steam ahead. It took us so long. Mm-hmm. It took us like two months to come up with a name. Paid off. It's like we were coming up with a name anyways. We secured a location. We, you know, were completing all these contracts. It's like all the work is going in. If we can like streamline this model, we can keep having these exhibitions and we can make this a concrete thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what happened. Yeah. I'm glad you uh, brought up the location, actually, because I would love to talk kind of about the logistics of opening a gallery. You guys, Natalie's face right now, she's like laughing about this. There must be a story behind the location. But I want to know, like, how did you guys find a location? How did you figure out that that was the one? Do you guys have to deal with all the kind of business sides of things within this gallery? Or do you source that out? Tell me about that process. (laughs) Well, all of it's pretty much just the two of us um location was very challenging for us in the beginning because initially our idea was we wanted to do it in a home because the idea of like having shows in a house was very like okay we're moving away from the sterile gallery okay the furthest away we can possibly get is a warm home you know like walk into some like a home theoretically someone's home and this is what you'd see on their walls. So initially, that's what we were looking at, homes. And then a, like a, a relative of ours was, you know, talking to us about different spaces and showed us this space. And we were just like, wow, this is, this was meant to be a gallery space. Yeah. Um, so we got unbearably lucky, like so lucky and we are um, kind of nomadic still yeah, though um very much so the next exhibition might not be in this space we're kind of exploring other options um trying to see what's out there um and what would be what would make the most sense for our next exhibition we want this to be a little bit fluid um yeah, still not opposed completely to staging a future show in a home. Yeah, definitely. Post-COVID, that's actually become a lot more of a thing in Los Angeles. A lot of gallerists have turned their personal homes into viewing spaces as well, which is a really interesting like interactive experience as well. I think people in LA, we were talking about this with somebody who came into the gallery, people in LA crave the elusive experience. People want something that feels... Um, what's the word? Exclusive. Mm -hmm. So when you go into somebody's home, you feel like you were invited here. Yes. It's a really personal thing. And there's something to that for sure. Yeah, definitely. That's a really cool concept, the going into somebody's home. And I also, I mean, I kind of like that right now you guys are open to doing it anywhere and everywhere. I feel like it sort of goes with your theme of just doing things differently and not being so like sterile and stagnant in this art world. Like you are kind of moving and you're adapting to whatever is happening around you. With the space that you guys have, are you guys currently like working from there? Do you guys go in every single day and kind of like open your laptop, start curating? What is the day-to-day like at the gallery for you guys? (laughs) Well, we have an office in the gallery that is made up of 
a million pieces of art that are just being like stacked. Um, Waiting to go to their homes. Yeah. A cabinet filled with random snacks. A couch that all all of a sudden appeared in the gallery one day. (laughs) Um, And then we have the gallery floor and we have a desk and two benches in the front where we are perched at most of the day because we like to, you know, be on the floor if anyone comes in. Also, like, there's such beautiful light in here and, like, staring at the artwork isn't too bad either. Um, Yeah, we, we sit next to each other all day. And we have our handy dandy whiteboard that we like brainstorm on. Um, we have our backgammon set when we get antsy that we play. Yeah. Going back to your last or a few questions ago, you're like, what did you get from those previous jobs? And I think the work ethic is definitely a big thing that we both got from our experiences because never, I think, do we have to tell the other person, hey, get Get back to work, get on it. You're not doing this. You're supposed to be doing this. We just automatically, we come in usually at like 11 o'clock, get our laptops out, go to work. We know what it is that we each need to work on and we just go for it. And yeah, we take small breaks here and there. Visitors come in um, after the exhibition, this exhibition ended on May 16th. We decided that we would keep it open by appointment for a few weeks after. Um, so we do have some appointments coming in. Um, we some days will close the gallery to go do studio visits. Um, so when we're not actively working on a show, we're planning future programming, um, which involves going to artist studios, checking out work that even our artists that we've worked with in the past are now making. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Every morning kind of starts off with a what are we doing today conversation where it's just like Natalie's list of what do we need to do and how can we collaborate here, here, and here, and then my list of what do we need to do, what was done yesterday, what we accomplished last week, what we need to do this week, um, and kind of manage our days in and out of the gallery. Yeah, I would agree with you, Nat, on the the whole, like, we know exactly what we're doing, not in the sense of, like, what we're actually doing with the gallery or anything. Or our lives. Or our lives, but (laughs) in the sense of, like, we come in, we go to work, and um, it's interesting having to figure your, like, your workout yourself, like, having to plan your own thing and not being told, like, okay, here's a pile of files on your desk, like, this is what you got to do today. Um, yeah, it definitely takes a lot of planning and strategy and discipline. Yeah. To kind of like build the long-term plan. There's so many pieces in there. That's so interesting to me. I want to go back a little to your whiteboard and your guys's brainstorming process. What does that look like? Can you guys kind of just take us through? Like, is it putting every single word they're showing me, you guys, right now? They're showing me the whiteboard. It's amazing. It's actually a bit more organized than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be super chaotic. No, no, no. This is the front. This is the calendar. The back is literally like random notes. Like on the top corner, it says Artel for stretcher bars, which is something our stretcher came in and wrote for us. Oh, my gosh. It's like a, a website for stretcher bars. Oh my gosh. Okay. But that's amazing. So what do you guys do? Like, do you guys kind of just have actual sessions where you sit down and you're like, Hey, we're brainstorming now. This is what we want the next exhibition to be. This is the time frame. These are the artists. What's that like? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so usually it comes after a coffee break. We caffeine kind of fuels our fire. Uh, we get super caffeinated <laughs> and then we start walking and pacing around the gallery and We'll whip out the board and write down a bunch of stuff. And then we'll get a little bit more organized from there. But yeah. Yeah, I think prior to approaching the whiteboard, we do a lot of outreach. Um, We do a lot of sourcing. We find artists that we're interested in. And once we have some interviews with them, some studio visits, we'll go to the whiteboard will map out when we can show their work, um, things like that. There's so many different yeah. like 
aspects of this, but yeah, right before a show, we'll hit the whiteboard. Right after a show, we'll hit the whiteboard. And then the in-between, we'll hit the whiteboard. Yeah, it just kind of keeps us on track. Like, how much outreach have we done this week? Do we need to do more sourcing this week? Is it a next week thing? It's just kind of like to make sure we're on track. Yeah. That's a really cool process. When you guys go and do that sourcing, you go to other galleries, you check out the artwork from some of your past artists. Is it kind of like all across Los Angeles? Do you guys ever fly out of state? I know you're a Los Angeles-based gallery, but do you ever have artists from out of state or even out of country? Um, Actually, the majority of our show is, our current show is international. Oh, wow. Um, We had international work from the last show as well. So this show is, uh, came from Iran, Austria, uh, it came from Arkansas. It came from Syracuse. Anyone else? Israel. Israel. Like, it comes from all over. Um, the last show was Belgium, Chicago, a bunch from LA. Um, but yeah, we we don't really have restrictions on that end. Maybe we should. It's a little difficult. (laughs) That's amazing. But can you tell us a little bit then about that process? If you have an artist, let's say from Arkansas, are they then flying their works into you guys? Do you guys go out ever to see their works? Like what is the process? And also, sorry, twofold question to this, but how do you find those artists? Like, is it just sourcing in person? They have their art shown in a gallery in LA or do you guys like do a lot of research online to find these people what is that like oh yeah I would say it's like a a mixture of a bunch of different things one tons of social media like just scrolling and going through different platforms going through honestly other galleries too in different countries have they're incredible resources. Um, artists know a ton of artists. And f- we were very lucky. Our last show, a few of our artists brought a ton of other artists. And that really got the ball rolling for future shows for us. Um, we got introduced. Um, we went to a bunch of studio visits from there. Lots of LA-based. Um, but when we're sourcing for a show... And we'll say like, okay, thematically, here's where we're at. We'll kind of, we'll talk to the artists that we're working with and we'll be like, hey, do you like, actually, I don't know if we've ever actually asked. We mostly, we describe the show and then if they feel super strongly about an artist, they'll kind of refer us to them and we'll definitely follow it up. Sometimes it matches, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. Um, A lot of sourcing through social media. Um, I'm not even the biggest fan of social media, but it's been incredible for us because as we all know now, there's an algorithm and the more you look at something, the more of it, it'll show you. So the more art we look at, the more art will pop up. And um, like Chloe mentioned, artists refer us to their friends who are usually also incredible artists. Um, Looking through MFA programs, Mm -hmm. which is how a lot of galleries find new talent. Um, Going to MFA exhibitions, um, going to exhibitions around LA, looking through art fairs online that we weren't able to attend. Eventually, I hope we can fly out all over the world and source that way. Right now, it's more so. If, like, Chloe was happened to be in New York and she got to go to um, one of our artists' exhibitions that she was holding there and got to meet with her. And I think you went to a studio as well. So... It was awesome. Making the most of our time in places that we we know some of our artists are located. Um, you also asked about, I think, the logistics of shipping. Yeah. That's a Chloe <laughs> question. <laughs> well, I recently learned how to import. And uh, that was an interesting discovery, an interesting <laughs> feat we took on. Um, we had to import from Austria and Iran. And Iran does not do any... We don't have trade with Iran, obviously. So from Iran had to kind of be redirected to a different country and then to us, which was super like hard to navigate because we had no idea 
our time frames were off because obviously like like if it goes from Iran to Dubai to New York to LA, like there's obviously going to be hiccups down the road. And also there's import taxes and all these different like security measures. Like when we got something from Iran, it obviously said that it had come from Iran, but it wasn't directly shipped from Iran. And there was a label on it that said, oh, this has been like unpacked, resealed and like investigated, um, which was fine. Like they're not going to harm the work. It's packed really well. Um, but it was like interesting to see and we had to go pick it up from LAX, which was also super interesting. The customs man was not a happy camper when we got there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But at this point, like since we've done it once before, since we've done it once and like literally went through every problem possible, I think we kind of like we're solid on that now. Um, again, learning by doing. (laughs) Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I'm curious to know, do you guys set the price of the artwork or does the artist set the price? Is that a collaborative yeah, kind of collaborative. thing? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a historical and also like with the growth of the artist, seeing how far they've come in their market, seeing how many shows, seeing where they've been placed. There's a lot of random things that go into like pricing I think we are very fair on it. And we also like, we want to continue growing the, the market of the artist, but we don't want to move it so fast that it can't catch up with it. And also we don't want to like slow it down. So that's a, like a very, it's a very fine line. It's a delicate balance. And like there are some artists that we work with that have, you know, they're really quite established. They've been in international fairs and have a long exhibition history and they kind of have a set price. But then we have some really new artists that maybe haven't shown before and we help to determine their market price. So, mm-hmm. yeah. okay, that makes sense. And a lot of the knowledge of how you know how to price things, is it kind of just like through your guys' own market research of what other galleries are doing or kind of following trends that way, aside from just obviously what the artist has come with? Yes. Um, it's We take our work experience and, you know, we go to a lot of galleries and we're involved in all the databases. There are databases out there. Um, like art logic that tell you the price of things, like how much things sell for when they go to auction and things like that. So there are resources out there that can help you to find where you're at if you're an artist um, or a gallery. Mm-hmm. Okay, very cool. And then another kind of logistical question about that. Do percentages of art pieces that get sold under your guys' gallery, does that like go back into helping the gallery stay open, essentially? Is that how like it's the money-making machine happens? Mm-hmm, exactly. We, you know, we just reinvest into the next show and hopefully we will just continue to do that and it will compile on itself and yeah. Bigger and better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. For each show, do you guys have a specific theme that you're trying to stick to? Or do you kind of create the theme based on the artists that you get in that time frame? Mm. The first show was the latter. We scouted okay. artists and then came up with a theme according to the works that we got for the show, right? Yeah. And then the, the second and current exhibition we knew that we wanted to feature Iranian artists. Um, Both of us are Iranian-American. We both wrote our thesis about Iranian artists. And um, I don't know if those listening are familiar with what's happening in Iran right now, but encourage you to look into that. There is a fight for human rights, women's rights happening right now there and so we thought it would be a timely moment to feature work by Iranian artists so that was kind of just the overarching theme was art being made by Iranian artists that paint a very uh, comprehensive portrait of what it is to be an Iranian today not a stereotypical one and that's that's pretty much it yeah and hopefully going forward uh, we will kind of our hope is to create shows around one or two artists to kind of really push their work into the limelight and create 
a very structured story for them. Um, yeah, this show definitely had a, a theme that we we worked towards building through the different artists. That's really amazing. It's amazing to come with a mission, you know, and I do want to talk to, I know we've spoken a bit about, you know, the mission that you guys are trying to push out with May and kind of have that lasting impact with every single show that you guys do. But what is something that you hope that if this is the first time somebody walks into your guys's gallery, what do you hope they leave with immediately after just like that's how they view May now? I would hope that they see something new and that they would feel so comfortable in the space that they'd want to come back. I also think that we try to make it accessible both in price and in story. So we're always in the gallery. Anytime there's a person in here, we are always here. And we want to make sure that the person feels like they are included in the work when they come in. So like they have the ability to purchase something off the walls because the, the range in which the prices are, you know, fits kind of anyone's budget who walks in here. And also like, maybe you might not purchase a work, but you'll know the story of the artist or you'll know the story of the work. So there's some sort of engagement there. I love that. What about you, Natalie? I agree. I just want people to come in here and get inspired by the work, maybe find a new artist that they now follow their career. Um, leave knowing that there's always something new to be discovered. It's not just what you see on Artsy or Art Forum or Hypebeast or whatever your favorite culture outlet is. Um, there's always more to be discovered. That's awesome. And I do want to know, do you guys both consider yourself artists yourself? And if so, would we ever see one of your art pieces in your gallery? <laughs> Their faces right now, you guys, it's killing me. <laughs> no, I'm not artist. <laughs> but Natalie is. No. So it's funny because so many people, so many of our friends that come in, they're like, oh, so which pieces are Chloe's and which pieces are Natalie's? And we have to explain to them, like, this is our gallery, but this isn't no. our artwork. Um, I am not a professional artist by any means. Um, I do do it recreationally, though. That sounds like it's a drug. <laughs> <laughs> but I like She can't get enough of art, you guys. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm addicted. But, yeah, I do draw in my spare time. I like to do figure drawing classes. Um, maybe one day I'll pursue it professionally. We'll see. <laughs> I think that would be cool thank you maybe Chloe can show my work someday yeah Chloe will show your work she'll be an emerging artist it'll be fantastic <laughs> you know because you guys are so fortunate to have jobs that are like your legitimate passion which I think is so cool and I feel like so many of us are striving to do something like that do you ever find it challenging to kind of not have that separation between passion and work or do you just love it? You love everything about it or do you feel like there are other passions that you're even more passionate about than your current job that you guys partake in? It's hmm. a really good question. It's a very interesting question. Um, I think right now I feel like very fortunate. I feel like my passion has remained but it definitely has, I've seen like the hard part of having this passion for sure. And the business element was never something like I thought of when I was, you know, getting into art history or anything like that. And it's, I am excited every day that I get to work here. I am excited every day and I couldn't be happier and couldn't be luckier um, it definitely blurs the line between like job and passion. Um, when we source, I think it's definitely, and when we go to studio visits, I would say it's more passion. And when we are working endlessly to put on a show, it's definitely feels like a job. Feels like a job. <laughs> but a good job that we like. Yeah. 
I definitely feel like out of all the jobs I've done, this feels the least like work. It's super exciting to be here every day. Um, yeah, I, I, I do think sometimes when you're really planning a show and you're in the thick of it, it's hard to go out to other openings and to see uh, other exhibitions being held at the same time. So, But that's with any job. You know, you're busy, so you can't do the things you love. It's the same thing even if your job is art and what you love is art. Um, but, yeah, I definitely, knock on wood, feel very fulfilled. What has the support been like from your guys' family and friends when people – figured out like you guys were really doing this going full force? I think there was a lot of confusion. (laughs) Our community and our culture is very in tune with art and architecture and, you know, I don't know, anything decorative, but kind of an older form, antiques, rugs, things like that. And it is it's a very new thing to be like, I don't know, engage with artists, not just decorative. Mm. Um, So for us, it was also like, we are the teachers now. We are teaching a community to fall in love with, you know, learning about an artist, learning about a work, you know, kind of connecting with it and then buying it, not just, went to Target, saw this fancy looking world map, put it in my bathroom, you know, where we're trying to kind of recreate a mold, I guess, for decorating and, you know, filling your home with something a little deeper. I don't know. Yeah. In terms of friends, they were all very excited for us. Um, But still they ask, oh, so what are you doing after this show? Like, are you looking for a job? <laughs> and I and I have to explain to them, like, no, this gallery is a permanent thing. It's here to stay. Um, You're like, this is my new career. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and in terms of family, um, you know, I do have Iranian parents. And as lovely and encouraging as they are, um, there's that stereotype that, you know, the Middle Eastern parent wants you to either become a doctor or a lawyer. <laughs> there are no other options. And I'm the last child, so I feel very lucky because they were the most lenient with me out of my siblings. But there is still the concern about, okay, is what you're doing lucrative? Is what you're doing going to be able to sustain your life? Um, And it's funny because my dad actually is a really incredible artist. He never did it professionally, but when he was in high school, he thought he was going to be an artist. Um, And my mom studied interior design. And they're the ones that formed my passion. Like I mentioned, it was my mom's art books that made me love this. It was my dad's love of going to museums um, that made me love going myself. But still there was a pushback like, okay, is, is this a real job? Now that we've hosted two exhibitions and they see me coming here every day, they, they're starting to get it. They're like, okay, <laughs> we, we support you, which has been really nice. Um, yeah. Do you guys feel like without that full-fledged support yet, and I will say yet because one day you guys are going to be names that like everybody knows, household names, so, and then everybody will be like, you know, they didn't have all the support, but they do now. But without all of that support currently, do you feel like it's helpful that you guys are both kind of coming from similar backgrounds of that skepticism so that you have each other to lean on in the process. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yes. It definitely like, I think it's a little bit more motivating too. It makes us want to, you know, succeed and almost prove someone wrong. You know, we kind of have a chip on our shoulders in a way. <laughs> Absolutely. A healthy chip on your shoulders yeah. for sure. Do you guys feel like it's at all hard to be taken seriously or if you have you found that it's at all hard to be taken seriously in the art world amongst maybe an older generation because you guys are like newer to the scene or do you feel like the support within maybe the younger community has lifted you guys up I actually I think we're very lucky with the time that we've come into this 
space just because now, like I mentioned, there is a new spirit in LA. I don't know if it's post-COVID, but younger people are now opening their own spaces, are sharing art. They're very like-minded to us where they want art to be about connection and they want to champion their friends and these younger artists that are coming up. So there is an excitement. There is a realization on the part of the older generations of, oh, this is where we need to look to now. This is the future. The, the young people are the future. Also, we're obviously two very young women. Um, and whereas it's usually a disadvantage in areas of business, let's just be real. Now, I think particularly with female artists, they trust us a little bit more than maybe other people because they've had bad experiences with older men in the art world, which is horrible, but they look at us and they're like, okay, we come from similar experiences so we can trust one another. And that's been really rewarding. That's incredible. And it's encouraging that you guys have been able to have some of those positive experiences from your community, even if it does feel like an exclusive one to sort of be able to welcome you with open arms is really cool. I want to know what are some of the long-term and short-term goals for May? Where do you guys want to see it going? I think long-term we want to have like, like regular programming, regular scheduled programming. Um, and we want to actually like, which we've kind of done already in small bursts, but we want to really create like names and following for a lot of our artists and we want to create new collectors in LA and create new collections um it's a very long-term goal I would say short term I would say you know moving into a different space maybe like keeping our studio visits, you know, going every week and keeping them lively. Yeah, I think near future, we hope to have um, more of a presence in the LA art community, Um, hopefully participate in some art fairs, domestic art fairs, and then eventually international art fairs. I think I want us to become known as the place that you can go to discover art being made by like very cutting edge artists, people that are doing something different who you know they're gonna blow up completely. Um, One of the artists that we had in our first show, um, she was very, very new and a pretty major gallery in LA kind of, I don't know if they found her through us, I think they did, we'll see, but they're presenting a solo exhibition of her work this summer. And that was kind of, I think, a moment for me that I realized, oh, what we're doing is actually on the radar of like these big players in the art industry. After our first opening, we heard that several major gallerists in LA had come to the opening. Um, It was so packed that we couldn't see everybody. I had no idea. But I think it's with anything in life, you just kind of hustle and eventually you look back and you realize, oh, like our hard work is actually paying off. That was one of those moments. Yeah. That's really, really cool. I bet the burritos on the floor really helped out with that first exhibit. I'm just saying that would stand out to me. I also, okay, kind of a weird question, but do you guys make like specific playlists for every single exhibition? Like who's in charge of the music? Chloe. <laughs> I'm usually in charge of the music, but it's pretty much just my playlist like that I listen to daily. Um, and then the last one was just like only Iranian music. Like I went on Spotify and was like new Iranian music. That's really cool. Taste in music. So it, I trust her. Not in- <laughs> I knew one of you would. I'm like people within the art world always have great taste in music. That's just a given. All right. Well, one of the last questions I want to ask you guys, something that I ask everybody that comes on this podcast and Natalie, you kind of already had an answer for this, but a quote that you guys each live by that has gotten you through the day to day, something that you really hold on to tight. 
Okay, another quote from my dad that I love. So the first one was, begin, the rest is easy. The second one, today is the tomorrow you worried about yesterday. That's really good. I think that's like a good one for life, not just for work. That's a really good one. (laughs) Thank you. I feel like I have a ton, but... She can't think of them. No, like they are, but they're just long and I can't remember. The only one that I kind of like live by every day I would say and I like remind myself of it is this too shall pass that one's good though honestly some of the simplest like easy ones are the best and I will say no one has said that that one on this podcast yet so it's yours now (laughs) what is your favorite I want to know oh my gosh that's a really good question I actually have a quote I can read it to you guys because it's right here but it's really long and I don't know it by memory So here's your guys' exclusive. This is the quote. It's called Life. It's by F. Scott Fitzgerald. And this is it. For what it's worth, it's never too late, or in my case, too early, to be whatever you want to be. There's no time limit. Start whenever you want. You can change or stay the same. There are no rules to this thing. We can make the best or the worst of it. I hope you see things that startle you. I hope you feel things you never felt before. I hope you meet people who have a different point of view. I hope you live a life you're proud of. And if you're not, I hope you have the courage to start all over again. I'm clapping. (laughs) I have full body chills. Yeah, I know. I had full body chills when I read it the first time. I thought, okay, I need that up on my wall because I need to live by that every single day. So that's mine. put it up on my wall as well. I think that's great. Yeah, I liked it a lot. It's a good quote to live by. Yeah, it's awesome. It's called Life, and it's pretty all-encompassing. But anyway, thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. If you guys could please shout out May, where people can find you, learn more about it, if they want to come visit, tell us everything. Um, well, you can find us at M-E-Y underscore underscore gallery on Instagram. Um www.maygallery.com on the World Wide Web. Uh, you can also DM either me or Natalie if you'd like. Uh, DM the gallery to come for an appointment. You can also make an appointment online. Um, email us email at us. info at meygallery.com. Yeah, I mean, we're... We're also on Facebook, May Gallery, LinkedIn, May Gallery. Um, I think that's it. Thank you so Perfect. much for having us. Yes, thank you guys so much. This was amazing. I feel like it's going to be really inspiring and educational for a lot of people that hear it. So again, never had gallery owners on before, but I feel like you guys are actually for real going to do really great big things. So thank you so much. You too. Thank, thank you, Emma. You. Thank you guys all for listening to Excuse My Reach. As always, you can find us on all major streaming platforms. Like, download, share with your friends, be kind to those around you, and don't be afraid to reach a little higher. Woo! You're amazing.